It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy and Rob Daniels. So it's a beautiful day up here in the mountains. We've got the sun streaming through the studio windows. Uh, very little wind about. It's been a very pleasant day yesterday and today looks like uh, it will be equally the same. So let's go down to the coast and San Juan and uh, Rob Daniels. Very good day. Welcome to you. What's your weather like? Yeah, hi Vince, hi everybody. Oh, the weather this morning is absolutely beautiful, Vince. I mean, you can tell we're in spring now. Everybody's uh, that I can see walking about is wearing short sleeve shirts. Um, there's a group of kids having a kick about in the park in front. So, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful day down here. OK, well, now then, uh, we've got to start talking about a documentary that's been out on the BBC. Three-part documentary talking about the darker side of football. And uh, we did know of this, but it is the way that the paedophiles have operated in the game in clubs like, um, um, dare I say it, say it, Manchester City. But of course, that was well in the past and it was one individual. Uh, but I think people should still stay alert that it could be others that are not being picked up. Uh, Crew Alexandra. Uh, Southampton, Brighton, uh, there were numbers of, of other clubs, but um, th there are a number of things that sprang to mind, and I wondered what you took from it, because my first thought was a lot of this was about a BBC trying to get the ratings, um, you know, because otherwise, what are, they, what are people doing about this? You know, we don't really hear enough of any initiatives that are aimed specifically at this. Maybe there are, but we're just not listening, we're not hearing about it. Well, then, yes, well, just, just to uh, let the listeners know, this um, is a three-part documentary series on the BBC iPlayer, you can see it now, and it's called Football's, Football's Darkest Secrets. And basically the story begins in 2016 when an ex-player called Andy Woodward, who, who's now aged 47, um, so he's an ex-player, used to play for Sheffield United amongst other teams, he approached a football journalist called Daniel Taylor and told Daniel Taylor, the journalist, what happened to him when he was um, at the Crew Alexandra um, youth set-up in the 1980s. And he waived his right to anonymity and went on television to be inter interviewed about the sexual abuse he'd received as a teenager by the head of training at Crewe-Alexandra uh, at the time, a guy called Barry Benell, or Benell. Um, and Crewe-Alexandra, as, as you know, Vince, is a big feeder club for the clubs of that area, like Man City, for example. And this opened a whole can of worms um, because other ex-players watching this interview um, with Andy Woodward, they, a lot of people came forward. It was a bit like the um, Jimmy Savile thing a few years ago as well, where once the cat was out of the bag, if you like, people realised it wasn't only them and that it happened to, and lots of other ex-players came forward. Now, eventually, um, in 2019, this guy, Barry Bunnell, He's now an old man, um, he's totally unrepentant uh, about what he did. Um, they eventually put, give him a prison sentence of uh, 34 years. Um, but yeah, many ex-players from other teams as well, as you mentioned, Southampton. Um, Matt Letizia was actually interviewed briefly. Um, he hadn't actually been abused himself, but they did have some very strange goings on, where the uh, trainer at Southampton would give the uh, lads 
a sort of massage after the match and things like that. So there's all sorts of shady goings on. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite a hard watch, actually, especially all of these players are of my generation. Some of them are slightly older, some of them are slightly younger, but we're all of the same age bracket. And it's still affecting them now, even though they're middle-aged men. Um, what happened to them as children? Uh, it's well worth a watch, but uh, expect to be sort of upset. Uh, it's not, it's, it's not um, fun to watch at all. Let's go to uh, what paedophilia is, because although people probably uh, all have their ideas and probably know, and uh, you know, if they've got any uh, idea of the definition, it's having sexual uh, and often predatory tendencies towards children. Now, this is not acceptable. And uh, let me tell you also that I, I also... Um, have a personal vested interest in this because my son uh, wanted to play football at uh, professional stages. He went to Plymouth and he went to uh, Exeter City. And when, when he went to a particular um, training session at Exeter City, um, he, he phoned me on the second day of this particular training that he was at um, and told me there, there was shenanigans is, is, is a nice word to use but it means basically something was not right they were playing sexual games and my fear was that even though this might have been a YTS group they could have been um, softening up so that the adults come in later so anyway the, the outcome was that my son came away we, we told him to get home straight away um, we thoroughly believed him uh, because basically he's our son we know that he tells us the truth and uh, basically um, the thing that really annoyed me was when I phoned the um, Exeter City chairman he said to me that it was just a bit of horseplay well now I don't know whether or not uh, it was just a bit of horseplay because it didn't go any further. I wanted to take it further. My son didn't want me to do that because he thought it would prejudice any chance of playing in a club, which was also a big part of what the documentary brought out. But um, there are certain questions now that I feel that the, the programme didn't answer, which is basically there's absolutely no inference whatsoever um, that uh, kids are being taught in schools that this type of behavior is totally and utterly unacceptable now we know with very very small infants we have um, uh, heard things are being taught in the schools um, but when so many people in society seem to think that any obscure and rather weird sexual behavior is acceptable um, I am not surprised that this was allowed to proliferate because, quite frankly, I think that there are. Um, th this is a problem at all parts of society. Football just happened to be a BBC documentary that they could make. However, we know that there are levels going to the royal family where there are question marks and doubts. We know that the. The churches, we know that the Boy Scout movement, we know that the um, politicians, we know that the judges, all of these people have had either slurs of being put in their direction or um, suddenly things get hushed up when it comes to what's going to happen. 
Um, obviously, we had the, the high-profile problems with Gary Glitter and with Jimmy Savile. But if people are going to tell me that this is now finished, I don't believe it. Um, I mean, there are even religions where they seem to practice the, uh, the abuse of children. And I think if you are in a uh, situation where you're in a society which doesn't look after its children, you have a big problem because those children are grow will grow up and they will also have values which are going to be a little bit, um, should we say, skewed to say, the very, to say the very least. And you only have to look at these guys that were actually in the media. They were very, very upset and you can see quite clearly that it's had a huge effect on the, the outcome of their lives. So um, I'm very, very interested to see what will come after this. Because uh, for me as a teacher, whenever I went into any situation where there's a school involved, I always get che checked. I always get asked, have you got the papers? Have you got a police check? Yes, I have. Okay, then yes, you, you, you can work in the school. I'm not too sure whether this happens in coaching. I think it does now, Vince. I think um, any any um, situation where you come, in, come into contact with vulnerable, vulnerable people, not just children, but vulnerable adults as well, um, you have to do, uh, I think it's called a CBS check. Um, I know that taxi drivers have to do it, and in certain, um, certain positions, especially dealing with young children, you have to actually go through an advanced CBS check. Um, and I suppose there might be a few people who get through the system, um, I personally know of one who got through the system when he was a taxi driver who came up to Bridlington from Stoke um, and managed to get a badge as a taxi driver and then about two or three years later the police from Stoke came up and caught him um, and he was wanted on a string of uh, child, child abuse um, cases from Stoke where he originally came from. So there probably are people who managed to get through the net but I think it's more, there's more control these days or at least I'd like to think there was. Um, back in the 70s, 70s, 80s and early 90s I mean, I, I was growing up during that uh, stage, and you were a young father, weren't you, Vince? But uh, yeah. you, we know that there was there was no control at all. It, 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 it was a breeding ground for perverts, basically, wasn't it? Any any adult who fancied um, fancied children could basically get access to children in a number of ways, and football was one of them. I mean, there was a list, or there is a list, or a long list, unfortunately, of um, people from different clubs who were all in training positions at various different clubs who were all up to it, um, quite a few of them that got sentenced to prison. I mean, uh, a guy called George Ormond, from, who was at Newcastle, he got 20 years. Uh, a guy called Bob Higgins, it took them years to catch him, um, but he got 24 years and three months in 20, uh, 2019. Um, a few of them actually died uh, before they actually um, got caught, such as Jimmy Samuels did, but uh, hopefully these days it's a safer environment for the kids. Well you, well, you see, the thing is, football is just a, a, a particular vehicle that was investigated in that three-part doc, three documentary series. Oh, yes, I mean, you, you mentioned anything, like, anything back then, such as youth clubs or possibly um, Sunday schools, as you mentioned. It, it, was, it was rife, it appears. I mean, and we, we as kids, we all sort of knew it was going on. But nobody was really bothered. Um, it, well, the mainstream media weren't bothered, but you knew as a kid that you had to be careful. Um, none of these kids that um, this um, Barry Bennell uh, abused, he didn't force anybody into doing anything. It was more like coercion, um, as you um, alluded to earlier on. 
if you do, if you do this to me, you'll you'll get into the you'll get into the top team and all this kind of thing. But if you don't do this to me, then you're out on your ear. Which which um, of course which of course is exactly the same as the grooming gangs work. So it's not oh, yeah. th- this is not unique to football. It's just that this particular documentary was on TV last night, which is why we're discussing it. Mm. But the thing that really I did pick up on, and I'm going to say something which probably I will get shot down in flames over, but I would have thought that if you've got a kid of 13 and any adult started interfering with his genitals, the first thing the kid would do is tell his parents. If they don't tell the parents, there is something wrong with the relationship between the the kid and the parent. And I do feel that if you've also got the peer group around you, there's got to be some form of, I'm not saying acceptance, but I'm not even going to say compliance, but there there should be safety in numbers. If you've got, say, 13 or 14 children, because they are still kids. The only thing is, you go into a school and you've got a big 13-year-old kid with, you know, bum fluff and everything, and they they think they can throw the weight around with the teachers and everything. Uh, It seems that they can't do the same when it comes to the likes of a football coach, because it's the fear of not being able to get what they want out of the relationship um, that's being uh, sort of perpetrated between the football club and the football player. And I think I think the problem is people are not looking at the root of the problem, part of the root of the problem. Is the child, A, aware of the sort of things that are happening? Well, if they don't get any religious education, if they don't get any sex education, um, there will be only the sort of things that all young lads get up to, which is the occasional little foray into the undergrowth, if you pardon the expression, and then, um, you, you know, sooner or later, you stop messing about and you grow up. Now, you know, the sad thing is, it appears to me that there's a big problem at the area of the child and the adult. Is that is the is it is the child not able to talk to its its parent? Because if the if the child can't talk to its parents, then that's a field day for the likes of Barry Bennell and these these people that want to take advantage. But if anybody had stuck their hands down my pants when I was about thirteen, I think I would have I would have certainly wanted to do something about it. And I know I would have gone straight home, even if I was afraid of my dad, which I was about that age, and my dad would have sorted it out with me. So I think the problem is not really, again, it's not just football. The problem is that we have a problem in society with paedophilia. Now, either football is part of it, uh, and I've always said part of our remit in the, the podcast that we make is that football is part of society, not society is part of football. And I think that society has a problem this is one area that at least we've now looked at and we've had some uh, the, the word bravery has been bandied about but if they'd been brave when they were 13 or whatever the age might have been uh, then maybe there would have been a difference okay over to you right right Vince that's a very good point actually um, there were two of the players involved a guy called Ian Ackley and another one called Dean Radford um, they've been involved in a TV documentary series called Dispatches in 1997. I think Dispatches still exist, but it's like it's a regular TV documentary series. And they tried to bring this uh, sexual abuse to light back in 1997, but it fell on deaf ears. 
Um, it, it was 20, 20 years ago now. People had, still had different views, old-fashioned views. Now, a lot of the players who came forward this second time felt really, really guilty about not coming forward the first time because they knew that it was going on, but they were too scared. And 20 years ago, they were still in their early 20s, a lot of them, and they were just too frightened. Um, also, I mean, society's view of homosexuality was different then, wasn't it? And, and although they weren't homosexuals, it, 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 they, they were all too scared to come forward, especially while they were still playing, because it would have ended their, uh, could have ended their playing career. But that's, that's my point, Rob. Yeah, that, exactly. That's your point, Vince. I agree totally. But I'm just you know, you, you've, either got, you've either got a moral uh, dilemma, um, because, OK, the moral dilemma might be the first thing, but the second thing, of course, is the mental scar which comes about because you didn't make the right decision at the right time. Yeah, now, you a, lot, know a, lot of, a lot of them were very, very um, ashamed of themselves for that. And when they actually, when they actually went into court eventually, when this guy was, um, was facing his final court sentence, they all went in as a group and they were all actually scared to confront him. And now we're talking about, we're talking about some um, big blokes here. I mean, they're, they're not children anymore. They're um, guys in their late 40s, early 50s, um, and big fellas, some of them. But they were still terrified to actually um, confront this guy. And he's, 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 he's only a small guy himself. I mean, he's not uh, anything particularly scared about. But if you're a 12 or 13 year old boy, you would be. But even even in the even as middle-aged men, they were still terrified of him. Well, I don't accept that because I think the word terrified is something totally different. I think that if they were they were just a little bit too ashamed and a bit too, uh, shall we say, embarrassed, that would be more the area. Terrified is when you've got a bomb dropping on top of you, or you've got somebody confronting you with a, a pistol or something like that. To be just in front of a man who abused you, and and you've got the ability to actually say what went. On, and you've also got the peer group that, that also were, were prepared to do the same. I don't really think that terrified covers that. And they I have, think they, that al they also have the fear that they weren't going to be believed. Uh, to be believed, I mean, uh, th this guy tried to lie his way out of it. Um, but fortunately, the uh, jury in the case believed the uh, footballers as opposed to believing the trainer. But um, yeah, they were all, they're also frightened that they'd stuck their neck out, but they weren't going to be believed in court. Well, isn't it, isn't it rather strange that as soon as a teacher, for example, a qualified teacher, uh, crosses the line and starts carrying on with the student, uh, very, very quickly, the student is believed. So isn't it rather strange that in one part of society, immediately somebody is believed, yet as soon as you talk about football, the rules change. I'm sorry, I do feel that uh, there is a problem. I remember at the time I wanted to take it forward. I thought the, the chairman of, of Exeter at the time uh, gave me a very, very uh, ridiculously uh, countryside expression um, which didn't cover the, the bad behaviour and the sexual implications of a professional football club. Um, I just wish my son had, had backed me and when it was the time he did say, my son said to me, he didn't want it to prejudice any future uh, of, of his career. At that time, I wanted to take it forward. But anyway, OK, well, let's go to another one who basically has uh, crossed the line several times. And as we're talking about football and as we're talking about different rules seem to apply, Seth Blatter's back in the news. What have you got for us on that one? Right, well, uh, many listeners, in fact, most listeners, I would imagine, have heard of Seth Blatter. Um, he was the former FIFA chief. Um, he was the chief of FIFA 
um, from I think it was it was from June June 1988 to December 2015, and he was basically the all-powerful head of uh, the FIFA organisation. But he got caught up to uh, no good. He got caught um, um, money laundering, I think it was, in, in large amounts. So he was banned from anything to do with football for eight years. On appeal, this was reduced to six years. So this year, he was allowed back to have something to do with football. They've already caught him again um, with his fingers in the till, basically, over bonus payments. Paying bonus payments, which they can't actually trace that were paid to anybody at all and things like that. And he's now been banned for a further six years and eight months, and he's been fined what is the equivalent in uh, English pounds of £780,000. Now, Sepp Blatter at the moment is 88 years old. He's banned for at least another six years, eight months. It's possible that um, he won't have any contact with football again. I hope not. I'd say good riddance. He's uh, been a bad, yeah, bad influence, but also a very, very crooked man, Vince, let's face it. He's... Uh, swindled millions and millions and millions um, so I don't feel sorry for him at all. Well I've said consistently to uh, both yourself and Eric on the other podcast that we do for the soccer show um, we we always s- seem to get to a point where football is above the law. I mean if you look at things that have happened with the VAR I've suggested to you that things look to me like the more concerned with the betting rather than the Im- uh, the, the the, the improvement of the game. Um, I watched a rugby match the other night. It was um, it was Wales were playing France, and there was a VAR um, type of uh, incident, and the referee clearly explained every single thing that he was looking at, why he was looking at it, and what the outcome was. Clearly expressed. Uh, to everybody that was watching. Now, you know as well as I do, week in and week out, we have a VAR decision which is nonsense. People know it's nonsense, the the panellists know it's nonsense, the players know it's nonsense, but it continues week in, week out, which reeks of either total incompetence, which I don't believe, or total corruption, which I do believe. And I think the problem with football is that It has been a beautiful game, and I think at the moment we are seeing, as part of this great reset, which again, uh, I know that people don't agree with me, um, but I do believe that you can't just take a little bit that you like and forget the rest. I mean, if you look at the fact that there's no planes in the sky, who would have thought that we could manage to get to a point where there's no planes in the sky? But of course, when there's a friendly with Mexico playing Wales you'll suddenly get a plane appears. You know, I mean, these are the sorts of things that really do get my goat because we're all suffering with um, something that we can't understand and it's pervasive into every quarter of our lives. Uh, We see politicians making ridiculous decisions and the more you know the more you realise that politicians know no more than you and I. And uh, at least we are honest if we make a mistake. Um, I'm not trying to make anything out of it. I'm just trying to, to see things for what they are. Um, Sepp Blatter and uh, Michel Platini. We used to love watching Platini playing football for France. You know, these guys, uh, they've had masses of money going through their, their, their fingertips. And, of course, when you then go to the individual parts of FIFA, 
and you look at the English Football Association and then you see some of the decisions which of course will have been probably part of the documentary last night uh, it, it's the parts that we don't see that make us angry but they do they do exist Rob and at the end of the day paedophilia is a horrible thing which any child has got to be protected you and I and other people who can see it clearly will tell people that way um, to, to find that a man's gone to court we know it's all happened and he still sits there and makes out he's done nothing wrong it's a sickness it's an illness and um, you know, we've had all the grooming gangs. This is just another part of a huge problem that society is not facing up to. Look after the children, I say. Mm, yes, definitely, Vince. I agree with you on that 100%. Um, while, we're on the while we're on the subjects of uh, TV programmes, um, there's a documentary that I mentioned uh, I think last week, I think I mentioned it, yeah. about the late Jack Charlton, um, including his final fight against Alzheimer's. Um, now, that is on BBC Two on Monday the 29th of March, which is next Monday, at 9pm UK time. Again, that won't be much fun to watch, but it should be very, very interesting. Yeah, I liked the man. I liked it when he... I loved it when he played... Uh, uh, sorry, he went as the um, the manager of uh, the Republic of Ireland uh, because yeah. he used to go fishing over there and everything. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he, he did wonders. He's still treated as a hero there in Ireland. Yeah, and of course, uh, the the... Uh, rift between him and uh, 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 his his brother Bobby Charlton is legendary. Um, these are all things that have sort of made our lives interesting. So I will certainly be watching that. Most of that will be included. The, the rift with, with Bobby Charlton is going to be included in the documentary, plus many other things about his life. Um, but also, it's going to concentrate on the final stages when he had Alzheimer's and, and how he actually ended up um, at the end of his life. OK, thanks for that, Rob. Um, now, we've got a rather strange Champions League... Um, it's funny how things, history, repeat themselves. And, of course, uh, Real Madrid are probably trying to play down the fact that uh, they, they're they playing Liverpool. I think there have been um, press reports that they don't really worry about Liverpool, um, which is great. I don't mind that in the slightest. Um, we go back to Sergio Ramos practising a judo throw called Matt. Uh, Makikomi technique which I as a judo instructor can clearly remember him using um, uh, you know by all means have a tough guy playing for your back four but keep it so that you know if you're going to play dirty get punished for it and uh, I, I just think that it would be lovely if we can put one over Real Madrid and do it in a football sense at the moment I don't think our team is playing magnificently well but I think we might be coming out of the doldrums. We might be a sleeping giant. Uh, I sincerely hope so. I sincerely hope Sergio Ramos feels a little bit of guilt for what happened. And whoever coached him and feels that it's acceptable. Um, Zidane um, is not exactly a shrinking violet. Um, <laughs> we'll see what happens, eh? What do you think? Yeah, well, let's see what happens, Vince. Um, Sergio Ramos will be practicing his technique as we speak, probably. I mean, um, they're not going to tone him down. Uh, <laughs> but um, it, it could go either way, as you say. I mean, the Champions League quarterfinals, we've got Real Madrid against Liverpool. We've got Man City against Borussia Dortmund. They're both on Tuesday the 6th of April. Then we've got uh, Bayern Munich against Paris Saint-Germain on the Wednesday and Porto against Chelsea on the Wednesday. 
So out of the, the, the quarter-finalists, we've got three um, Premier League teams in there. So uh, hopefully, at least a couple of them will get through, and uh, I will be supporting Liverpool on that day as well. <laughs> Good man. Okay. And, oh, and, and, and City, and I'll also, I'll also wear a little flag for Chelsea, but uh, yeah, Real Madrid-Liverpool, I'll, I'll be wanting Liverpool. OK, now we go back to the FA Cup quarter-finals, because they, I, I really enjoyed watching the, these uh, FA Cup quarter-finals. Uh, Everton... Um, they threatened Manchester City, they held them for the first half and then Man City managed to score two goals. Um, I think you saw that the Man City would win it on penalties, they didn't need the penalties. I thought Everton could have um, played and just snatched a goal, but no, it didn't happen. Um, did you enjoy yeah, the game? The goals came late on. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the game, yes, and I, I thought it might be going to extra time, actually, uh, because the goals came late on, didn't they, the City goals? Yes. Yeah. Um, but when they got one, they got the second one in, and that was the end of the match. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed watching that one, yeah. OK, well, I, I, my heart was telling me that um, I was probably wrong, but I would have liked to have seen Bournemouth beat Southampton. Uh, again, I think, uh, I think you got that one right. Didn't you? I think um, you thought Southampton would win it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Bournemouth nil, Southampton three. But I don't think Bournemouth disgraced themselves. You, you can see that they're still good enough to come back into the Premier League. So um, pity, but that's basically Southampton now could be the dark horse for the FA Cup this year. Well, Southampton, um, Ralph Hutton Boosel. Um, he actually stated, um, I think it was at the, at the stage of the third round when the um, Premier League teams actually first come into it, that they were going to have a shot at the FA Cup. Um, their league form has been off since then, but um, yeah, they're still there. They're in the, they're in the semi-finals, so uh, they're up with a chance, aren't they? Yeah. Now, we both thought that Chelsea would see off uh, Sheffield United... And certainly um, the, 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 the Chelsea team do seem to be playing exceptionally well at the moment. Um, I feel sorry for Sheffield United, but sorry, Chelsea do look a bit stronger, don't they? Oh, they do, definitely. Um, Chelsea, with this um, Thomas Tuchel as manager, um, it's the same team. It's Frank Lampard's old team, but with a different trainer. So uh, I think Frank should be... Uh, He's not happy about being out of a job, but I think he should be proud of the players that he uh, rounded up, if you like, to form this squad. Um, but they are looking really, really good, aren't they? And Sheffield United basically have no chance. Yeah. OK, now the team that um, I thought would win uh, 2-1 um, actually turned up and they won 3-1, which was your prediction. And I thought Leicester looked absolutely wonderful against uh, Manchester United Um, you know I was watching the game I enjoyed what I was seeing and then it got to about I think it was maybe nearly 70 minutes and it was like the charge of the light brigade um, on a Gunnar Solskjaer had four um, replacements lined up to come on and I looked at these replacements and I thought, oh dear, we are now going to find uh, that Manchester United really could come on strong. <laughs> no chance. Leicester snuffed them out. I thought that Leicester looked terrific. Brendan Rodgers has got a great team there. He's got some great players and uh, they thoroughly deserved that win, didn't they? Oh, they did, yes. Leicester definitely deserved that win. And um, unfortunately for Man United, it... Um that was the last piece of silverware, I think, that they were they could have got their hands on this season. So, uh, although they are having a good season in, in the league, they're unlikely to win it. 
but um, I don't think Ollie's actually got his hands on any silverware yet since he's been manager. No, well, look, uh, difficult because I've got a friend, Dave, who always tells me that, you know, he, he, he doesn't think the team's playing that well. And I said to him uh, when they were going through the doldrums, I said, look, that team is not a bad team. You're going to come good. They are a good team. They're going to be very good. Pogba started playing a bit better for them. And I reckon that he shouldn't have been taken off. I think that that's where the team uh, and the game seem to change a bit. You know, when um, Pogba was taken off, I think it, that was, for me, a, a pivotal moment in the game. I think... Uh, he should have stayed on because his passing was really, really good and uh, I think he got the goals well, didn't he? Yes. Um, no, no, he got the Man United goal was Mason Greenwood. Oh, OK. Um, but um, Pogba, no, he, he did play well in that match and uh, I agree with you, actually. I, I have thought of that myself independently that it seemed to be a bad substitution, didn't it, taking him off when he was uh, on such good form? Yeah. Um, I would say yeah, a managerial error on uh, Ollie's point, really, there, but or on his, Ollie, Ollie's part there. But um, I say you, you, you never know, do you? Like, why he took him off? He might have taken a slight injury or something, but it didn't seem to be a good substitution for me. No. Okay. Well, look, um, we'll come back to the FA Cup a little later. We'll go to the Premier games that were played. The first one we're looking at involves Leeds United on Friday the 19th. Uh, they visited Fulham. Now, because of the way Fulham had been very tenacious, I expected Fulham to win this 1-1-0. Um, you thought that they would draw 1-1. In actual fact, it was 1-2. So, well done to Leeds. What can you tell me from that game? Well, Le Leeds eventually won a match again as well. They were, they were on quite a bad run of form. But, yeah, before the match, um, as we spoke about, Fulham... Um, are trying to get themselves out of uh, a relegation position, and they could have done it, I think, if they'd have um, if they'd have beaten Leeds. But it didn't happen like that. Leeds, it was one one at half time. Leeds got the uh, second goal in the second half, so Leeds take the points, um, and for I am staying in a relegation zone. Okay, uh, Brighton had to take on Newcastle on the 20th of Saturday and uh, I thought that um, it would be a draw because I thought Newcastle had shown a bit of something. Uh, you thought Brighton would win it 2-1. Uh, in actual fact, it was a stroll in the park f for Brighton. Newcastle looked really inept and, um, you know, uh, there's talk of the manager going but uh, Brighton still need to be aware of the fact they need a couple more points just to be totally safe. But I thought Brighton played nicely um, and comprehensively won that game. Yeah, all I've got down in my notes is uh, Brighton good, Newcastle rubbish. Um, <laughs> Newcastle are looking very precarious, aren't they? And um, They're still not in the relegation position, but it's full am who are trying to change places with Newcastle isn't it? And, uh, and give them some real problems. Well, it's a shame because Newcastle is a massive stadium. It's a massive... Um, it, it's a massive history they do deserve better those fans and yet I think it's the owner of the club that seems to be part of the problem up there you know um, having said that uh, obviously the, the manager has to work with the players he's got they obviously seem to be more in, in, involved in the bank balance at the moment so they don't seem to be playing for the club uh, we go to um, uh, another game on the Sunday which was Aston Villa at home to Spurs 
Spurs had had an upset in the Champions League. Um, they needed a win. The manager was saying some very strange things, as he always does, and it ended up as Villa nil uh, with Graylish, uh, obviously uh, resplendent in his tracksuit bottoms, where the cameras seem to think that's more important than us watching the game. Uh, nil and Spurs. Two. So, um, strange times at Spurs. Uh, they've got a good team. They've got the makings of a very good team. They have a manager who has achieved in the past, and they have this sort of uh, ongoing uh, saga with um, Gareth Bale, and um, just a strange situation. What do you make of it all? Well, Spurs, I, I think um, Spurs are coming on towards the end of the season, aren't they? I mean, they, they had a bad a batch in the Champions League. But as far as the league goes, since Gareth Bale has actually been match fit and starting to play again, um, Spurs are looking good. If they'd have had the, the team felt like they are doing now, um, earlier on in the season, although they were top for a, a couple of weeks, weren't they? But if they'd have had this consistency throughout the season... I think Spurs would uh, be in with a shout of possibly the title, but there's only 10 matches left now and um, it's too late for them really to do that. But so yes, it's, but Spurs at the moment I think are looking really good. And Villa, without Grealish, you shouldn't just have a one-man team, should you? But it, it seems that Villa are a one-man team. Well, but I, I do like the, the, the player. When he plays football, he's brilliant. Um, as far as looking at his tracksuit bottoms, uh, then I'm not too sure what the producers of these programmes are up to. Um, because, quite frankly, y you know, <laughs> I suppose it was just a little aside. Anyway. I well, he's, got, he's, he's had a leg injury event, so they were possibly trying to see if there was any sort of sign of him limping or something. But, yeah, I mean, to focus so much on a player who's not actually on the pitch... Uh, <laughs> Well, it is a bit strange, isn't it? It is. OK, now then, uh, we had a great match. I really enjoyed this one. West Ham 3, Arsenal 3. Now, it looked to me like it was going to be a big score. I put it down for a 2-3. Uh, you thought it was a 3-1. Uh, but I knew there were going to be goals in this. And uh, West Ham steamed off. Uh, they really looked as if they were going to go um, and really set the town alight. Uh, then Arsenal stormed back, looked brilliant. They came back to 3-3. West Ham should have won it. Um, you know, it was Antonio, I think it was, that got a chance near the end and he should have put it away. But great game and a great advert for football. I love that one. Good game. Yes, it was a good game, wasn't it? And uh, as you say, West Ham were three up by it after 35 minutes. So you'd think, really, that they got it in the bag. Um, but th then they let two own goals in to bring it back to 3-2 and Lacazette got the equaliser in the 82nd minute as you say West Ham could have um, put it away right towards the end of the match I think it was Antonio but uh, they didn't manage to but yeah it was, it, it was an exciting game of football really yeah ok now then we have uh, these uh, very very intriguing games at international level. I say that because realistically everybody knows around the world that uh, we're all curtailed and we can't particularly move and even though people can fly in from all around the globe uh, to uh, Benidorm and various other places we can't go out of our own community so there's something very very strange and again not very easy to understand uh, but let's Go to the, um, the the football then, and I mean Wales Mexico, a friendly. 
What is the point of that at this time of the year, at this time of the pandemic, at this time of uh, anything? It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense at all, doesn't that one, Vince? Um, Mexico, as, um, as we know, has one of the worst COVID rates in the world. Um, Wales being part of the UK, and I think Wales is affected about the same percentage as England, so the, the UK in general um, is trying to get it under control. The numbers recently seem to have been going down. Um, but why Mexico have to come that far to play a friendly, and why they're allowing them to, um, is not my, it's not my decision at all. I don't think um, anybody's particularly happy about it. I know that a lot of the um, teams that have got to travel a long way they're not happy about it because that we're all suffering from coronavirus and, and what's the point for a friendly match? Um, the, the other matches, um, in Europe at least, they're World Cup qualifiers. In fact, Wales played last night in a World Cup qualifier. And I, th I think they lost, if I remember correctly. Um, but the other matches that are being played in Europe, uh, internationals, are World Cup qualifiers. Okay, the teams well, that have a bye have to play a friendly well, I mean, is, yeah, yeah, that, that's is, nonsensical. Yeah. That, that is absolutely nonsensical. Completely. Um, OK, we did do a little bit on predictions with uh, Eric and myself, and we were looking first at the fact that England are playing San Marino or San Marino. Um, it would appear that this seems to be almost like perennial fixture. You know, it almost seems to be that every time they make the draw for the World Cup or the Europeans, England come up against somebody like San Marino and uh, th that was a very interesting fixture where I think Dave scored a very early goal and anyway there was a documentary on the TV about it uh, and you know uh, the local shopkeeper I think I think he's a baker isn't he or something yeah. like that and um, yeah he, he got a goal uh, against England after if I believe correctly I think it was eight seconds wasn't it after it was got... amazing amazing yeah yeah, yeah. He, he still lives off that I mean people go people go and shake his hand every day and uh, <laughs> David Seaman was in goal that day and David Seaman's in two minds he's been invited to go meet this fellow but he doesn't know if he'll be able to keep his cool if he eventually does because he basically showed the David Seaman and the England defence up to be a set of fools. <laughs> I think as time goes on, I think David Seaman will mellow out a bit, and I think one of these days we probably will see some, some, something on the news somewhere or on a documentary where the two of them actually go and shake hands. But yes, uh, San Marino... Well, um, <laughs> as, he, as he's a baker, there's, there's, there's a quick answer as to why that will happen, because either one of them will probably need the dough. <laughs> All right. that, was, that was a good buy <laughs> for those by the way who don't really use the English language all the time uh, I'm spelling need with a K um, ok so England versus San Marino um, Eric and I think that if they don't score five or six goals then really what on earth do people pay these professional footballers these massive sums of money for? Because, quite frankly, if England can't beat San Marino by five or six goals, there's something wrong. Uh, what's your prediction for that score? I don't think San, uh, San Marino will get a goal in this. Um, I've got it down as a 6-0, a possible 6-0 to England. OK. Um, it, that's, what, that's the result, the logical result, isn't it?
Well, it is. I mean, I think it'll be 5-0, but then again, you know, it should be half a dozen, six, maybe eight or whatever. But, you know, the thing is, uh, what they should be doing in these games is use it as a proper training exercise. You know you've got to win the game. You'd be an incredibly bad flop if you don't win it. Uh, So why don't you really cut loose? Make Make a statement. Let's see who really can cut the mustard, you know. Um, now, when we come to Albania, I don't know much about Albania, uh, apart from the fact that they usually tend to be a little bit more difficult. Yes, Albania is an unusual country, isn't it, really? It's very mm. secretive, even still. Um, I, I remember back in the qualifiers, I think it must have been the late 1970s, when I, when I was a, um, sort of like growing up still, Northern Ireland had to play uh, in Albania. And they only allowed them to take 15 people across the border, which was, I think it was 11 players, three substitutes, and the manager and the, um, the sort of medical guy, the medical trainer. Um, they, were, they only allowed that many, many people into their country. So over the last few um, seasons, I've noticed they have picked up points because I always look at the group tables and things of all these competitions. And they don't get slaughtered every time, but they are a bit of an unknown quantity, so hopefully... They won't surprise England. Um, I've got that down as 3 nil to England. OK, well... 0-3 no, to England, sorry. Yeah, I've got that the same. Um, Eric sees it's 4-1, so, I mean, there's three goals in it anyway. If, uh, if, they, if they can get a goal, they will be over the moon. So they will be trying to get a goal, and if they do, like I say, they'll be national hero whoever scores it. OK, England and Poland, uh, that, I think, normally presents us with a bit more of a challenge. Um, and I think England will be lucky to win that one, probably 2-1. But, uh, I, again, I don't really have time to follow what's even happening in, in Polish football at the moment. All I do know is that we had a goalkeeper called Jerzy Dudek at Liverpool, and he was great. Um, and he's just had his birthday, so there we are. Mm-hmm. OK, so England-Poland, what do you think? Yeah, Poland's quite a difficult team, aren't they? I mean, I don't follow Polish football, but I know that a lot of the Polish players play in different countries, don't they? A lot of them play in Germany and, and places like that. And they always seem to put out a strong international squad, but I'm hoping that England will do it. I'm hoping England will do it 2-1. OK. Now, uh, we didn't uh, discuss La Liga. I'll come back to these internationals in a minute. Um, so, w- anything that we need to catch up on with La Liga? I mean, th- there's really a big catch-up now by Barcelona at the top, um, also by Real Madrid coming behind. Uh, so, can uh, Atletico de Madrid, can they hang on, do you think? Well, at the moment, Vince, um, as you say, they, they, it's getting tight at the top. They've all played 28 matches, so they're at 10 matches left. And as we stand at the moment, um, Atletico Madrid have a four-point advantage at the top. But if we look back to the beginning of February, they had a 13-point lead at the top. Yeah. So their lead has been worn away. And Barcelona on such an amazing run of form that um, they are actually challenging for it, which, like I say, a couple of months ago we would have thought was unthinkable. Um, but in football, you never know, do you? So you uh, it, it is going to be, there is a title race on. Atletico Madrid has still got the advantage, but the advantage is slipping um, every, every draw that they get and every win Barcelona get, and Madrid, Madrid get, basically, um, brings Barcelona and Madrid close to the top. Um, down at the bottom end, we'll, oh, you'll be pleased to hear that uh, Elche, the Alicante club, um, are one place away from a relegation zone at the moment. They've got themselves out of the relegation position and they've got a two-point advantage um, over, the, over the team that is in the relegation position. 
And Valencia, as we mention often, Valencia, because it is the biggest team in this area. Very poor season in 12th position, neither going up nor down, but it's a very disappointing season for them. OK. Uh, now, of course, we call our team here in Spain the Selection, which is uh, quite nice, really. And the Selection are playing Greece and they're playing Kosovo. So have we got any interesting facts or figures about the, the selection, uh, Spanish, Spain's team? Um, will they beat uh, Greece comfortably, do you think, remembering that Greece actually won the competition in Europe, didn't they, um, uh, not that long ago? So. Yes, well, it's, it's none of the players that won the competition will be playing still, but, uh, yeah, Greece did actually win the Europe. It was a European one, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Spain, we mentioned um, last week that guy, uh, Sanchez, the goalkeeper. Yeah. He, he probably won't get a match in this um, against Greece because Greece are one of the stronger teams in their group, but he probably will get a run out against someone like Kosovo um, because uh, Luis Enrique would like to, like to try some of these new lads out and see how they actually perform. But I can see Spain beating Greece. Um, I, I've got it down as a 3 1 for Spain. Okay. Uh, is uh, John Travolta still playing for Greece? <laughs> I think I think I think he's retired a few years ago. Vince. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. Okay. We've got to play uh, Georgia as well. Apparently. Uh, so is that on your mind? Georgia. Again, it's sort of an unknown quantity, isn't it? Because um, I, I would imagine that a lot of their players also play in, in different leagues. I'd imagine quite a lot of them playing in the Russian league and things like that. But basically, I've got no background knowledge of them. Um, Spain are playing away, but there'll be no crowd there. But apparently, this Georgia crowd, when there is a crowd, they're very, very um, partisan. They, yeah. uh, they, they just ball the other team off the park. But with no crowd there, I'm hoping Spain will do it. I'm hoping Spain will do it um, without Georgia scoring. I've got now a 0 2 to Spain. Okay. Uh, interestingly enough, without, much, without very much background knowledge on Georgia. Exactly. Well, I, I, I'm exactly the same. The only thing I do know is that they have the same anthem as the UK, and they have very, a very similar flag, don't they? It's, they um, do. A red cross with four red crosses in each of the corners, isn't it? Yeah, and they they also have quite a good rugby team. Uh, in passing, I've got to tell you about one of the big fixtures for these uh, championships. It looks a tremendous game. Scotland take on the Faroe Islands. Do you think that they can beat them? <laughs> um, I think they might just about be able to beat them. Uh, beat them uh, but the Faroe Islands, again, I can't remember which team it was, but one of these other minnow teams in um, one of the recent competitions, the Faroe Islands actually got a draw. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't think there's any team these days that hasn't got, had at least one draw. But uh, I think even Scotland should beat the Faroe Islands. I mean, they've got a population of about 200, haven't they? They, they have, and apparently all the sheep come to see the game when it's, when it's being played. <laughs> well, the, uh, the, 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 the crowd might put Scotland off then. <laughs> well, as I say, you know, they, they, these in, they're, they're interesting, and I, I understand that, uh, you know, they've, they've maybe every right to be able to play football, but, I mean, it, 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 would you want to be playing if you're getting thrashed every time you go out the door? No, 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 sorry. Why not lump all the, the islands together, the Faroes, the Shetlands, and call them uh, the other UK islands, or I don't know, but I mean, you well, know, it just, just yeah. seems these, these are whipping boys, aren't they? They are, really, but that was the idea about that thing. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head what they call it, but the one we were speaking about earlier in the season, which, again, we thought was pointless, but where it's like um, a league system between the international teams in Europe. Yeah. 
And they are all grouped into teams. For instance, England um, are in the top group, fortunately. But then the, the bottom group, you've got all of these teams, Andorra, San Marino, um, Faroe Islands, Gibraltar, Gibraltar, Gibraltar are now allowed to play. And um, they actually got a draw. So I think it might have been a Faroe Island, actually. I think it might have been Faroe Islands nil, Gibraltar nil or something like that. But, um, yeah, all of the smaller teams are actually in this sort of the league system they've got, which I think they'll be put starting off again next year. Yeah, well, I know they, they have actually got quite a good team, uh, Gibraltar, and, um, I, I mean, they, they occasionally they pick, pick the odd baboon to play, but, um, yeah. you know, to make <laughs> but, up the numbers. But Yeah, but they, they, they were only allowed in, only accepted by FIFA a few years ago, weren't they now? So, uh, they, they are a legitimate, legitimate team, and, well... We'll just have to wait and see how they all perform, all these minnows. But, yeah, you're right, it does seem... I mean, in our group, England's group, we've got England, Albania, Andorra, Hungary and Poland, which are the two sort of, like, rivals, if you like, and then we've got San Marino. Um, it's going to be, basically, I would say, who can hit most goals against uh, San Marino and Andorra, really, isn't it? Yeah. And, of course, in the meantime, there's always the chance that one or two of the wonderful players might actually pick up injuries and can't play for the rest of the Premier League or whatever. That's always a constant worry for the managers and the players, I imagine, but the managers especially. If they pick up a silly injury against one of these little teams, yeah. put them out because they're, they're not a deliberate foul, but just because the other team are too slow and sort of chop somebody late or whatever might happen. But yeah, I mean, um, well, fingers in any of the matches, but uh, it's always on the cards, isn't it? Yeah. OK, uh, back to the semi-finals of the FA Cup now, and uh, two big games. The first big game is a massive uh, test for Chelsea. At home, they're playing Manchester City. Now, uh, Eric, obviously, will always back Man City, but I've got to say, it will be a clash of the titans because the Manchester City, uh, they just seem to be able to turn it on all the time. Chelsea look strong, but they don't look as fluent as, uh, or fluid, whichever way you want to look at it, as Manchester City. I think I'd have to go for Man City about 2-0 there. Yes, I think um, City will get this, because City are still uh, on for a possible quadruple, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and although Chelsea, under the new manager, are playing a lot better, um, I think City are the stronger team. Yeah, I, I, I would say 2-1 to City as well. OK, uh, now the other one is probably a little bit more interesting in the respect that... Uh, uh, well, you know, a bit more unpredictable, maybe. Uh, although Leicester did get pasted, uh, sorry, pasted uh, Southampton. Um, and, of course, Southampton had that horrendous uh, result against Man United. Um, Eric still thinks that Southampton will sneak this one uh, because they've targeted the FA Cup. I think Brendan Rodgers has got a team which is... Oh, they're just brilliant to watch. Um, I think that Leicester will win this one quite comfortably, actually. Uh, although I am a fan of the way that Southampton play. Danny Ings, you might have spotted, is um, being rumoured to be linked with Manchester City. So that's going to be interesting as well. But how do you see that one Leicester-Southampton go? Well, as uh, Eric mentioned, Vince, and uh, I mentioned previously in, in this podcast as well, Southampton have set their sights on the FA Cup this season. Um, but Leicester are going so well that I can't really see them pulling it off. What I've actually got down is I've got 1-1 um, after 90 minutes and then Leicester winning it in extra time. OK. Now, 
if if Southampton can keep it to one one, um, then I think that there's every chance that they'll win it. Because uh, I think once you get into the extra time bit, it does depend on really the legs of the players and what's going on in other games around them. Um, so I won't be surprised if um, Southampton put up a really good show, but I still think Leicester have got just that little bit of extra. I like, the, I love the the fluidity of their forwards at the moment. I just think they're so exciting. Plus they've got some good defenders as well. They've got a very solid team all round, haven't they, Vince? And they, and they do play attractive football. I mean, it's, it's good to watch um, the fluidity between them all. So, uh, I mean, that's, that should be a good one. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes Southampton's way either. But like I say, I, I have to go one way or the other. I, w- I would say 1-1 after 90 minutes, 2-1 after extra time. OK. Uh, just as we finish today, um, go just got about another couple of minutes, um, I'm going to go back to the documentary and the way that I see things and the coaching system in Spain only from observation, not from fact. From what I see, um, I always see lots and lots of parents going along with the children. Um, I see the big family influence in Spain. Obviously, there will be an amount of this in the UK as well, but I would imagine that some part of the answer and the solution against paedophilia has got to be the strength of the family and how much the kid can tell the parent and how much the parent is prepared to back the child against maybe uh, any involvement at the paedophilia level. Um, I, I mean, you, you go past Valencia when they are doing training days and, you know, it's packed out with parents. You go past um, Lanuthia where, you know, we've got this great um, centre up here and you again see a proliferation of parents. Um, anything you'd like to add to what I've just been saying? Well, only really, Vince, that um, you seem to hit the nail on the head. Um Spanish football, well, all round, but Spanish uh, kids' football, it is really um, a family affair. I mean, you get all of the, the parents go along, the grandparents go along, um, and there doesn't seem to be such a history, um, at least a media-based history, of uh, paedophilia being um, involved in Spanish football. Hopefully it isn't, and hopefully, as you say, the, fa- the family unit, all, all being together, um, will stop that kind of thing happening. Kids, oh. won't, kids won't feel as isolated. And, of course, the big danger is, as I've always beat this drum uh, regarding uh, during the pandemic, I feel everything is an assault on um, our way of life. And I do feel that I go back to my reading in the Communist Party manifesto, uh, the way to defeat capitalism is to defeat the family. Now, I do feel that in terms of the family going along and supporting the child and seeing what's going on at the football club, um, I think that is as near you can get to an antidote to these blooming predators. I really do feel um, that, you know, to have the parents around has got to be a good thing. Oh, definitely, yeah. The more people that are around and, and as, you, as you say, the Spanish kids are more likely possibly to be able to speak to their parents, um, especially... The, we're talking about the 1980s uh, when it was a different world. The English lads, a lot of them didn't have the confidence to speak to their parents. They thought they'd get a battering off their dad and things like that. So uh, hopefully things are going in the right direction now. Yeah. 
Okay, well, look, Rob, um, we have a little bit of a better um, way of life at the moment. We can go out and we can um, go to a restaurant and we can enjoy the sunshine. Uh, let's hope that, obviously, things will improve a little bit more. I will feel a lot happier when the mask finishes. I think that um, th this is uh, obviously not done yet. I think there's a lot more that we'll learn as well as to what's happened. Um, but um, do you have any feelings of, um, uh, is there any light at the end of the tunnel? 30 seconds to say goodbye. Right, well, let's hope there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, Vince. Um, all of the, uh, Spain and the UK at the moment, seem to be getting the figures under some kind of sort of control. So hopefully we are going in the right direction and hopefully um, things will get back to some kind of normal soon. OK, Rob. That uh, brings us to the end of this particular podcast. Uh, lots on the go. Heavy stuff with the paedophilia. Uh, protect the children. I don't care. You know, doesn't matter where they are. Look after the kids. Rob, have a great week. Catch you next week. Thank you, Vince. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.